0: Blessed Zion, blessed Zion, all our mountains are in thee. People of God, we look together in God's word in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We've been reading with verse 18 and read to the end of the chapter. And this morning, we look together at uh, this passage. So, the entire passage is our text. We we'll won't dive into every aspect of of these verses. This evening, we'll look together at one verse. And so, uh, a different kind of uh, exegetical sermon this evening. but We look together at the the flow of this this, uh, passage of Scripture as it sets before us uh, how uh, we are to worship or true worship being that of reverence and awe. The people of God hear the glories of the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ revealed in his infallible, inerrant word. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse Him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused Him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject Him who warns us from heaven. At the same time, His voice shook the earth. But now He has promised is a consuming fire. Well, people of God, uh, this uh, passage of Scripture uh, certainly sets before us that biblical mandate to worship with reverence and awe, but what does that mean and why should we worship in such a way? And I believe that there are several questions, questions that uh, our children may well take note of. And those questions are these questions. Where are you? Where are you? How did you get here? Who are you with? And what are you doing? These are questions that our text clearly answers. And it answers these these uh, these questions by Uh, First of all, telling us where you're not. And then telling us where you are. That's the first question that's addressed here. And it says in verse 18, For you have not come to what may be touched. You have not come to... And these are references as we saw as we read the law earlier in our worship service. These are references to the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. And so, what God is declaring here is, you have not come to Mount Sinai. I Remember, that was Mount Sinai. This short time after they were delivered out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That Old Testament redemptive moment that that looked forward and longed for the redemption that ultimately comes in Christ, but was the greatest redemptive moment that God had revealed in the Old Testament until that moment in redemptive history. But you have not come to Mount Sinai. That is not where we are. And of course, that just doesn't just refer to a, a geographical location, but... You have not come to God in that moment of redemptive history that can be identified with Mount Sinai, but you have come to a moment in redemptive history that is post-cross, after the cross. So, it is a clear focus on the distinction between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion, now throughout the Old Testament, as we saw in psalms in this, uh, the song a couple of psalms that we have sung uh, that refer to the city of God, Jerusalem, uh, Mount Sinai, the place where on the mount the temple was built, the, the place where the Holy of Holies existed, uh, that place on earth that between the building of the temple and and the destruction of the temple and and ultimately the coming of Jesus Christ uh, God was revealing himself in a special way to his people in the old testament time but we have not come to that place either and 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 we wouldn't really come to that even if we were took a vacation or and we went to the land of Israel today and and we climbed up the, the temple mount. We would not come to where we are. Where are you? Well, the declaration is clearly made. But you, in verse 22, have come to Mount Zion. Now we might think, well, that's in, that's in the land of Israel. That's in, in Palestine, in Jerusalem, on the mount there. No, no. You've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly... Jerusalem. That's where you are. That's where we come when we gather for worship in particular. Because this is a a text that has all kinds of connotations and we'll see those as we look together at, at this text in more detail. Connotations about coming together in worship and the nature of worship. You have come to Mount Zion. And when it talks about that Mount Zion, uh, that's you have come to the city of the living God. Now, that language is not unusual in the New Testament. And in, and in fact, the scripture, uh, basically, the end of the revelation of God to his people has a focus on this great theme of the city of the living God. Now in Revelation 21 and 22, when it's talking about that city, it's ultimately talking about what's hinted at when it talks about that which will be, uh, which will come to full manifestation at the end of time and that unshakable reality that we exist in today that will never be shaken for all of eternity. And so there is this thought in the, in Revelation where the city of God will descend to earth in the new heavens and the new earth. But you have come to that city. We are in that city. We are on that mountain right now. So, you children, you remember that question. Where are you? And now the Bible says you are in the New Jerusalem. You are in that holy city. You are in the heavenly Jerusalem. Well, you say, I'm here. Yes, I know you're here, but you're there as well. Now, not physically, but we're there in reality in a way that is more real because it even lasts for all of eternity than being physically present here at this moment. We ought to think of ourselves as being in heaven right now. That's how God wants us to think. That's what He says here. You have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. That Jerusalem that's that's mentioned in Revelation 21, verse 2, in this way. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Or Revelation 21, verse 10, where it declares, And He carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain, and showed me the holy city, the new Jerusalem, the the holy city Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Or at the very end of God's revelation to His people... In Revelation chapter 22, uh, verse 19, we hear these words: "And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his name in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book." That holy city, for the true people of God, an unshakable foundation, an unshakable foundation that holy city that represents that, that place where all those gathered for worship are, including us, including us, this heavenly Jerusalem, this Mount Zion. This is where we are. And who are we worshiping with? Who are we worshiping with? Well, your children, uh, you may say, well, I'm worshiping with my mom and, and my dad and maybe a grandpa and a, or a grandma. Uh, I'm worshiping with the other people in this building. That's who I'm worshiping with. That's who I'm worshiping with. Well, we'll see that the text says that's true, that you are worshiping with those people. But it also says that they are we are gathered with a great host. We are worshiping with a great host of people. So in it starts by telling us in verse 22, the last part of verse 22, that yes, we've come to the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. Innumerable angels in festal gathering. In the Old Testament, we have an an instance in the Old Testament where there was a, a servant of Elisha when the Syrians were surrounding the city of Samaria and this servant said, we are outnumbered. We are defeated. We cannot possibly win any kind of battle here. Nobody's on our side. No one's here. And Elisha says, that's not true at all. That's not true at all. And so in Second Kings 6 verse 17, Elisha prays to the Lord, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire and all around Elisha. And that's it. That was a symbol of of the angels of God who were surrounding the people of God and Elisha in particular. And they were not outnumbered. They were not outnumbered. Uh, We may think that we're outnumbered by uh, the world. Uh, We may think that uh, we're just a small group here. And God says, no. No. No, you are in festal gathering with innumerable angels. And by faith we behold this reality that we are worshiping with angels. With angels in a festal gathering. And so if we have all these angels around us, God says He doesn't want us to look like we're in the depths of despair we have every reason to rejoice in a festal gathering with the hosts of heaven. With the hosts of heaven. In verse 23, it talks about it being a general assembly and to the assembly, another translation says actually the general assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And there are some... Uh, ways in which you can translate that. So it's to the general assembly and to the firstborn. But it's a general assembly. A general assembly. It wasn't very long ago uh, that uh, I represented uh, the United Reformed Churches uh, at the general assembly of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And I spoke on behalf of you and all people who are URC, uh, to the Orthodox Presbyterian General Assembly. And it was a general assembly. It wasn't a local congregation, as it were, assembly, although we see here that there is no such thing as a local congregation assembly because when we gather as a local congregation, we are gathering in a general assembly. And the general assembly... I had uh, uh, members of other denominations in the United States. I roomed with a, a, a man who represented a church in New Zealand. So they was, uh, uh, the New Zealand churches were part of this general assembly. Well, people of God, uh, we are part of a general assembly here, not just a local congregation, but we're part of a general assembly of the firstborn. Remember that song we sang about uh, that there is born in Zion and it says the Babylonians will someone from Babylon will be born in Zion and, and and someone from Tyre will be born in Zion and that was a old testament prophecy about how the gospel would go out to all the nations and there would be this this general assembly from and people from all the nations who would gather together To worship God, a general assembly from every tribe and nation and people and tongue. Even those who were once enemies of the cross will now be brought to bow before God in true worship. And that's part of who we are worshiping with. And here in the text it says, of those who are in heaven. There's not very many instances in the Bible that tell us about what people are doing who have died and gone to heaven. But this is one of them. This is one of them. And it says, they are worshiping with us in heaven. Because that's where we are. And they're worshiping. Those who have died and gone to be with the Lord, are worshiping with us. That's another part of the group. It's the church of the firstborn. And every child of God, every true child of God, has been born again and are firstborn. They're firstborn. It's the church And here it specifically says the church of the firstborn. And and once again, we're just reminded that that word church in the New Testament means the called out ones. Called out from the world. Called together. And called to worship God in the New Jerusalem with an innumerable number of angels. With those who have died in the Lord and gone before us. And we are worshiping with them. And to God. To God. Well, we can't worship God if God isn't there to be worshiped. And God is present. And we are in His presence. We worship God. That God who is the same God who revealed Himself to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament at Mount Sinai, it isn't as if there are two different kinds of gods. There was a whole pagan theology, false theology of the last century that said, well, in the Old Testament you had the God of justice, in the New Testament you have the God of love. Well, nonsense, says the Bible. Nonsense says God, and this text doesn't say, hey, wait a minute, that God, He's not really the God who revealed Himself in blazing fire and darkness and was the judge or in the last verse of our text says for our God is a consuming fire. That is who God is. It isn't that God isn't that. And it isn't that there shouldn't be those who would be absolutely terrified to be in His presence. Because He is a consuming fire. He is holy in every way. So why would we think that we have any right, any access, any path to enter into the New Jerusalem? To be in His presence. This judge of all. This God who is a consuming fire. God. That sovereign, holy God. Because that's whose presence we're in. And though Moses said to the people of God, even at Mount Sinai, do not fear, but I'm speaking to you so that you may fear. So he said, don't fear, but I want you to fear. Well, what did he mean by saying do and don't? Because there's two aspects of fear. The fear of fright that freezes you into absolute inaction or terror that at the end of the ages the people without Jesus will say to the mountains, fall on me. I want to flee from this God. I can't stand to be in His presence. And those who have access to that God legitimately who can say, I have no terror of this God, though I stand in awe and amazement, that kind of fear, this godly fear, this, this fear that is filled with awe and reverence. No, God does not reveal Himself as our buddy. He is our Father, but He is the sovereign God. But we don't call him the dude in heaven. He is the holy God. He is our loving Father. But that is accomplished only through Christ. So we can come to God. And we come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And and in that verse, uh, that reference is... Clearly a reference to uh, those who have died because Paul in, in Philippians says as he presses on to the goal of the upward call when, when he desires to be in heaven with the Lord, he says, I have not yet been made perfect. But those who die and, and in Christ and are in heaven, they are made perfect there is no sin left in them. No desire for sin. What a day that will be, people of God, when we don't even think sin, when we don't desire sin, when we are not enslaved to sin in any way or not caught or trapped in any sin. What a glorious day when we're perfect in heaven. Although at the resurrection we will be perfected in total completeness because of our resurrected bodies. So there is a longing yet for the fullness of God's revelation at the second coming. But in terms of our moral and spiritual and emotional and verbal lives before God in heaven, we are perfect. We're made perfect. And so this is a clear reference to those uh, that have died and gone. And, and the theme is we We, those who are true believers, we participate with them in this glorious act of worshiping our God in sacred, festal assembly and to Jesus. And to Jesus. The mediator of a new covenant. To Jesus. The mediator. This tells us how we get to the new heavens. The word mediator has all kinds of connotations that we can't dive into in its depths here this morning, but people of God know this, that the the word mediator ought to remind you of that famous text in John uh, that the Lord uh, gave in John 14. In John chapter 14. Uh, in that text, uh, it is set before us the nature of mediation. The very nature of mediation. Because one might think in terms of, in, in terms of mediation as a road. A, a mediator is, is one who, is a, who mediates to bring people together and he's the path through which they can come together. He's the road that connects them. And Jesus said that in John 14. We'll begin with verse 2. And Jesus says, In my Father's house, John 14.2, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you uh, that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also and you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. No one comes to the Holy Jerusalem. No one comes in sacred assembly with the angels. No one comes to God except through the Mediator. Jesus Christ. He is the path. Uh, he's also the automobile. He's also the mode of transportation that brings us there. Jesus in every way is the one in whom and through whom and by whom we enter into the presence of God because apart from Christ, there is no way to go before God. There are many people in our world who think there's a way. And so, uh, they're in a moment of crisis in a perfunctory, unbiblical, not, not God-honoring way. They say, well, let's pray to God. Well, let's pray to God. We can, we can now pray to God. They cannot pray to God. They cannot ask for God's blessing except through the Son, Jesus Christ. is the only way to the Father. The only way one can pray to God is through the Son. That's why children, that uh, in oftentimes when we pray, and, and a basic pattern is that we pray in Jesus' name. That reminds us that it's only because of Jesus and it's only through Jesus that we can pray, God our Father. It is only because of Jesus that we can worship in reverence and awe in the presence of the angels and in the presence of God, as it were, in the Holy of Holies. He is the only way, the only mediator. And apart from Christ, we would flee. For His blood makes it possible for us to stand in the presence of God and to a blood, to the blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. It was one of my commentaries that I ran across a reference to the song that we sang in um, as Assurance of Salvation this morning. A commentary by William Hendrickson. And he said, there's this old hymn that talks about the blood of Abel. Then I looked it up in our in our in our Trinity Hymnal, and it was there. I was shocked. But what a message! What a message! The blood of Christ cries out, "Pardon them." The blood of Christ is that which makes the difference for us God's people and is the avenue through which we can worship God and which the blessings of God come to us. It is because of the blood. The blood of the new covenant. The blood that Jesus declared as He inaugurated the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11.25. This cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We celebrate that blood. We recognize that that's the only path, the only way to God. The only way of forgiveness. And there are so many aspects to that blood. And each one of these could be a sermon in themselves. It is the blood of propitiation. Propitiation which means that blood appeases the wrath of God. It is the blood of purification because it is the blood which washes away our sin but also purifies us to walk in, in honor and in in the praise of the glory of God's grace. It is the blood of separation because it calls us out of the world and it calls us into the church. It is the blood of mediation. It is the blood of sacred assembly. It is the blood of life. It is the blood of effectual atonement. There is power in that blood. The blood of Christ. Do you hear that word this morning? Do you believe that word this morning? That it is only in the blood of Christ that you can be freed from the power of sin? That it is only in the blood of Christ that you can be freed from the guilt of sin? That it is only in the blood of Christ that you can call upon God as Father? In verse 25, it says... Worship in reverence, in awe, because there is one speaking to you today that is greater than Moses. And I'm not talking about myself. Because insofar... As a godly man preaches a godly word from God's word to you each and every Sunday. That word is not the word of a man, but it is the word of God. It is the word of Jesus. You see in verse 25, it says, And do, and see that you do not refuse him who is speaking, who is speaking to you. For if they, the Israelites, did not escape when they refused him, Moses, who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven. Who is speaking to you? The clear reference here is it's Jesus is speaking to you from heaven. Listen. Listen. Heed. Believe. Rejoice. Focus your faith on and believe the word of God that God is setting before you. This speaker from heaven is Jesus Himself. Therefore, believe, remember, believe, rejoice. The response here to this worship is, is having a willing ear to hear and believe. It is open acceptance to the to the message that is preached. It is one that is received with gratitude in verse uh, 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be grateful receiving a message of the kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be grateful that aspect of our Christian lives that's focused in the Heidelberg Catechism when we see the misery of sin and the power of sin and God's judgment upon sin. And then we behold the glories of His grace in that whole section on deliverance. And then we recognize that now we would live for His glory and grace. We would live in gratitude for all that He's given. Never attempting in any way in our lives to pay for what He's given because we cannot pay it. There is no way we can pay for the blood of Christ. But we can thank God. We can thank God in praise and honor and obedience in every way possible as we strive to be more and more what He wants us to be. We worship with a grateful heart, with reverence and awe, with reverence and awe, serving, worshipping God, worshipping our God with reverence and awe. Reverence and awe and how we dress and how we sit and how we listen and how we pray and how we sing. We are in a most holy place. We are in the presence of the most holy God in a general assembly. And we are not consumed. We are not stoned. We do not suffer the consequences of our sin because Christ's blood was shed and He did all of that for us. So where are you? And who are you listening to? And who are you worshiping with? And how are you worshiping? And who are you worshiping? And why can you worship? In Psalm 96, we hear these words that, that remind us that the Gospel will ultimately go to every nation and tribe and people and tongue. Psalm 96, verse 7. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equities. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Amen. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come before You in this morning hour and we give You all the praise and honor and glory. O oh, Father, forgive where we have fallen short. but oh Lord,